Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Wednesday, March 16th. I'm Desiree Frazier, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, the State House rolls out adjustments to its sweeping tax cut. Then we learn why a major medical association is speaking out against Mississippi's 15-week abortion ban. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. The state legislative session is now in the home stretch, and lawmakers are under increasing pressure to put a tax cut across the finish line. On Monday, the Senate tweaked its income tax plan in response to concerns voiced by the House. Republican Josh Harkins chairs the Senate Finance Committee. The main difference is we've taken a look at the actual top rate of 5%, and we're bringing it down over a period of four years to 4.6%. And then we also eliminate the 4% bracket on that first $5,000 of taxable income. Uh, We still have the grocery tax cut in there. We still have um, the rebate portion of it. Uh, We've also added a suspension of the gas tax, which is 18.5 cents on uh, every gallon of gas. Yesterday, it was the House's turn to take a crack at appeasing the Senate. Republican Representative Trey Lamar of Senatobia chairs the Ways and Means Committee. He speaks with MPB's Kobe Vance. Well, we've taken into account every objection that has been raised by the Senate and any others. Uh, we, there have been some that said the original, initial plan was too aggressive, and so we backed off. Instead of the first $40,000 of income, we eliminate the first $25,000 of income from any tax that would be 50000 for a married couple. Uh, and uh, the next objection we've had is a, a, a slight raise of uh, the sales tax. And so we've removed that objection. The general sales tax rate would stay at 7% in this plan. Uh, as well, we have, uh, we have put a growth trigger with a control feature in there that would, uh, would, would limit the amount of income tax that is bought down or, um, or cut each year after the initial 20, uh, cut up to $25,000. So Every objection that the Senate uh, or really anybody else has made to the House plan, we've addressed it. Y'all have been aiming to eliminate the income tax. You know, how does that compare to what y'all are proposing now? Oh, well, it, it, it's, it's, uh, as far as that goes, it's exactly the same. I would say our goal in the House of Representatives is to eliminate the tax on work for the people of this state. 
Uh, it's going to take some time. The initial cut, as I said, in this bill is 25000 and 50000 for a married couple, and then it would be bought down over a period of years. It could happen as early as 8 to 10 years, possibly up to 14 to 15 years, just depending on how the economy grows. We take a portion of growth going forward, and we use that to cut the income tax. Um, so this plan is the only plan before the legislature that eliminates the income tax. We look forward to having um, these conversations with the Senate. We're asking the Senate to sit down and work with us. Uh, and, and, look, they've made some great strides. You know, last year the Senate didn't even have a bill. And so now they've passed two versions of a bill. And so I commend them on that. Uh, but their bills don't, don't set in motion the elimination of the income tax, which is our primary goal. And so we ask them to sit down with us and work toward that, toward that end. Do you think this is going to be something the Senate can agree on? Well, as I said, that we've, we have uh, meticulously listened to the senators uh, and um, had many conversations um, over the last several months, and every objection that they have raised, we have addressed it in the bill. So um, certainly hope they can agree to it because it, it, it was designed to address every objection they've had. Republican Trey Lamar is chair of the State House Ways and Means Committee. All this back and forth over what kind of tax cut is best for Mississippi obscures a larger question. Should the state be cutting taxes at all? Some House Democrats say no. Minority Leader Robert Johnson tells Kobe he's one of them. The House has adopted a position that that personally and as Democrats we is untenable. We, we can't support that. They've created just a blanket tax cut with this new amendment that essentially... Just, just creates a $700 million hole that we have to fill every year. Now, originally, the tax proposals was a tax swap. It was some balance. It was a zero-sum zero game. Nobody lost anything. Nobody gained anything. You, they got rid of exemptions that shouldn't have been there, that have been around for a long time, that helped corporations that they needed it 25 years ago, but they don't need it now. We give away close to $2 billion a year in tax exemptions to businesses and corporations. Some of that can be recouped, but they, for, they, they, they did away with that. Then we had an opportunity to give some break on car tax, grocery tax. Now the grocery tax will be a cut that will come, take 12 years to realize even a 4% cut in grocery tax. So you're cutting income tax. MAP still hadn't been fully funded. We are underserved on highways and bridges and roads that we need to get get done. Uh, all these things need to happen, and we're doing that without providing the services that we need for people. So we can't support a plan like that. And it also, you know, when you do a just a desperate amendment, you end up with something that hasn't been studied and hasn't been proven out by any experts. So that, that just doesn't give us any, any confidence. You've been saying throughout the session that you'd like to see the House and the Senate not come to an agreement at all on this, project, this process. Do you think that still might happen? That still may happen. And, and I say that because I don't think either side has spent the requisite amount of time looking at this and working on it together. Now, now it's just competing ideas. It's like competing authorship. It's not competing substance. It's competing about who's going to get to say I did it. And that's, that doesn't serve the people of Mississippi, and it doesn't serve the state legislature to get that done. You need to have something that people actually spend some time with, have some thought with, talk to some experts about, and get it right. That may take a lot of working together out of the session, but just throwing out different amendments to try to get a one-up on each other during the session is not a way to, to, to reform tax policy. Speaker Gunn says that he's willing to block, um, block ARPA funds if you know, the, the House plan is not adopted. Do you think that's something that he might hold, 
hold strong to, and what do you think that can mean for Mississippians? Well, it, it would be it would be terrible for the Mississippians. The federal government passed this plan because Mississippians suffered greatly under this uh, pandemic period, and they passed that money to help us shore up where we had deficiencies. The other thing that the, that the uh, ARPA fund said in terms of its regulations, one thing you can't do with ARPA funds is use it to shore up tax cuts. And so the idea that you would hold ARPA funds unless a tax cut is passed, to me, seems to violate the, 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 uh, one of the main tenets of the ARPA fund legislation. That is, you can't use this to shore up tax cuts. And when you say I'm going to hold the ARPA funds hostage unless you pass my tax cut, I think that's in violation of federal law. But I also think it's ill-advised and it doesn't serve the people of Mississippi in any way in a, good, in a positive way. Robert Johnson is Mississippi's Democratic House Minority Leader. Coming up, why a major medical association is speaking out against Mississippi's 15-week abortion ban. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. This podcast is a local production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting and depends on the support of listeners like you. If you can, please donate today at mpbonline.org. And thanks. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. Budget grocery chain Family Dollar says it's received a federal grand jury subpoena after FDA regulators reported a rat infestation at one of the company's warehouses. A few weeks ago, we spoke with Stephen Basaha of the Gulf States Newsroom, who's followed the story closely since it broke in February. Now Stephen reports on this latest development. Last month, regulators said food and medicine that came from the Dollar Tree's West Memphis warehouse could have been contaminated by rats. That led the company to temporarily close more than 400 southern and midwestern stores supplied by the warehouse. More than 1,100 rodents were found at the warehouse after fumigation in January. More rats, both dead and alive, were discovered after. In a filing to the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission, Dollar Tree says the Eastern District of Arkansas wants documents covering how the company handles pests and sanitation. Dollar Tree says it intends to cooperate with the subpoena, which could lead to federal charges. For the Gulf States Newsroom, I'm Stephen Basaha. Dollar Tree is the parent company of Family Dollar. The Gulf States Newsroom is a partnership among public media stations in Mississippi, Alabama, and Louisiana. The American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists has filed a brief to the U.S. Supreme Court against Mississippi's 15-week abortion ban, calling it, quote, fundamentally at odds with the provision of safe, essential health care. This as the court mulls whether to uphold the ban or to reverse the Roe v. Wade decision that guaranteed every woman in the U.S. the right to an abortion. Jennifer V. of Vicenzio is the American College of OBGYN lead for equity transformation. The American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists is the premier professional organization for obstetricians and gynecologists across the country. We have over 60,000 members, and we believe and advance evidence-based medicine, and we know that abortion is a critical aspect of basic health care for people who are looking for obstetrics and gynecologic care, as well as pregnancy care. And we know that the law that was passed in Mississippi and is now in front of the Supreme Court is dangerous, uh, not only to uh, pregnant people across the country, but also is 
difficult and makes um, the jobs of physicians in Mississippi as well as across the United States very difficult because it interferes with the relationship that they have with their patients. Would it be safe to say that the majority of the members of your organization support a woman's right to have an abortion if she so chooses? It is the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists, ACOG's position, that abortion care is a fundamental part of pregnancy care and um, obstetrics and gynecologic health care, and that every patient, um, regardless of who they are, where they are, what their zip code is, deserves the deserves access to that care, as well as non-judgmental and compassionate counseling and informed consent around um, pregnancy care. Now, are you in private practice right now? I work at the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists as um, the lead for equity transformation, and I also um, am a practicing OBGYN hospitalist. When you think about abortion and that right uh, coming to an end or being so restrictive that it makes it difficult, what is your fear? So I think it's important to to frame the situation with abortion access um, and what is to come with the Supreme Court decision in um, the light of what has been happening across the country. For many people across the country, abortion access has been very difficult to obtain, if not impossible to obtain, for a long time. Um, one salient example is in Texas, since SB8 passed, um, there's been a six-week ban in place since September. Um, certainly in other states, many of the uh, regulations and laws that have been allowed to go in place um, that are not evidence-based and are not medically-based or scientifically-based that create barriers for patients to be able to access abortion care have already been making it very, very difficult. And so my fears that the people, the pregnant people who need care, those who are looking for compassionate, non-judgmental, evidence-based counseling and care around um, their options for pregnancy are not able to receive that, those fears have been realized in the last couple of years with the increasing state regulations. And I fear it's only going to get worse and more people are going to be facing those barriers um, as we're looking at, at these concerning laws being passed across the country. There are advocates for a woman's right to an abortion that um, are talking about what they call self-administered abortions using the the pills that doctors give for the procedure to occur. Do you think that that's an, a, a good alternative should the Supreme Court decide to overturn Roe v. Wade? I um, hesitate to discuss alternatives when we know that the best way for um, people to access care is for them to be able to have all of the options available to them barrier-free. And so I don't like to talk about alternatives um, to patients being able to have open and honest conversations about pregnancy options with their doctors, because that is the ideal world in which I hope and continue to advocate for. One thing I thought was interesting, I was looking at the statement from your organization, and it talked about doctors not always being on the same page on this issue, that it took uh, years and kind of a transformation. And now the demographic is there are a lot more women OBGYNs than there used to be. And there's more receptiveness to having abortion availability. 
abortion has long been proven by science and data to be an extraordinarily safe option in pregnancy. And that is the reason why, in addition to the agency and autonomy that it provides those who choose it, that ACOG supports this position. That being said, abortion is a complex issue for a lot of people. Um, I know for me, I used to be um, anti-choice. I grew up an anti-choice activist, and now I provide abortion care. I've had a personal and professional transformation along the um, lines of abortion. And there are many people out there that have complex feelings about abortion, both personally and professionally, and that's okay. What's really important um, and what ACOG continues to reiterate um, to the public and to its members and generally as an organization that's leading in uh, obstetrics and gynecologic care is that abortion care is a necessary and critical aspect of basic obstetrics and gynecologic care. And we um, need to be able to encourage people to manage their own conflict if they have any around abortion and make sure that they are receiving patients as they come to them without judgment, with empathy and compassion, and ensuring that they're receiving the highest quality evidence-based care, which always includes the option to have an abortion. What made you change your mind? What made me change my mind was that I had a series of uh, personal and professional events that happened in my life that I really talk about openly But ultimately, I started um, taking care of a wide variety of people. And I realized that there is absolutely nothing black and white about life and reproduction and pregnancy and health, and that every situation is unique and that every patient is unique and every family is unique, and that it is a absolute disservice to the oath that I took as a physician and to my own moral compass that is really uh, directed primarily by the value of justice and compassion um, to make any sort of judgments for somebody else. Every person that comes to me is an expert in their own lives. They know what they need in order to make their life and their family the best that they possibly can. And it is my job to support them with empathy, compassion, and evidence-based recommendations to get to that point. And it just became so much clearer and frankly, so much easier for me to exist in a way in which I was taking people as they came to me, taking my patients as they came to me and helping them achieve whatever it is, um, whatever reproductive destiny that they were seeking. That is ultimately my calling. And it became very clear to me when I started practicing medicine and engaging with people outside of my sort of sheltered circle uh, from early in my life. Are most OBGYNs trained to provide abortions? Uh, Abortion training is a recommendation and a requirement of the ACGME, which makes the um, regulations and rules for training OBGYN residents. Doctor, we appreciate your time in speaking with us and uh, highlighting why this brief was filed by your organization, the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists. Yes, thank you so much for um, speaking with us, and I encourage everyone out there to um, become educated on these issues because uh, this has a wide-ranging impact given that one in four women will have an abortion by the time that they're 45. This is extraordinarily common, extraordinarily safe, and it's really concerning from the scientific community that legislators um, are interfering with the ability of patients to interact with their physicians. 
This has been Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Stick around for a full morning of Mississippi Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. See you tomorrow morning at 830 on MPB Think Radio, Mississippi Public Broadcasting.